All right, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. And the first words of Luke chapter 2 is, and it came to pass. Everybody say, and it came to pass. What'd you pass? It passed? It came to pass is a, is a powerful Bible phrase that encourages every one of us. What came to pass in Luke chapter 2? I'll tell you what came to pass. 4,000 years of prophecies that God was going to send his son, a Messiah, a Savior, a light of the world into the world. And just as today, all over the world, we live in this expectancy that we're living in the last days. And I don't care if, you're, if your conviction is, is religious or other, or what denomination or what um, different kind of culture you live in and reside in somewhere, whether it's, again, in the Incan cultures or the, in Russia and China and, and, and all over, there's some kind of system, belief, there's some kind of buzz in the air that the things that have been happening since, you know, the Y2K and, the, and on and on and on, the Incan calendar being um, expired and the end of the world with the Incan calendar and on and on and on and all of these things that have happened in the last couple of years with the September 23rd and the satellites and stars aligning, but there's a buzz around the world that we're living in the last days. And I think everybody would agree that, that, that that's going around. They're making movies about it, and it's happening. Well, no doubt in Jesus' day, it would have been exactly the same. There would have been a buzz that, that, that God was doing something. And, and then the prophecies that, 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 that God was going to send his son, a Messiah, a Savior, guess what happened? It came to pass. And you, you know, the prophecies that we have in the Bible, over 2,500, some of them yet future and unfulfilled. And we get to see thousands of prophecies up to today, today that have been fulfilled. And every one of them tell us that the, the prophecies that are yet future are going to be fulfilled. Do you know what the biggest prophecy is in the New Testament? Repeated more than any other prophecy in the New Testament? The entire theme, one of the entire themes of the New Testament. You don't have to be a scholar or a scientist or have an easy-to-read Bible. You, you can read any Bible, and if you start in Matthew and you read to Revelation, you'll read a hundred times, in one way or another, a prophecy of the New Testament. Anybody? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return. And just as it came to pass in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, it's going to happen again that Jesus is going to return. So we get the, the story of this first Christmas, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. You know the thing that was happening in Jesus' day? And, and the message of the angels in this chapter is so relevant to our day because things that in, in seasons and in times were, were hard. Caesar Augustus was in power, and Caesar was a tyrant, and he hated Christians. And, and, and the, he was, it was hard on the Jews, and the, um, the, the people, and the, the, the Augusta was a guy who was just, when they, he was Julius Caesar's son, and they, they asked him what he wanted to be called. And they said, do you want to be called king? And he said, no, there's lots of kings. And they asked him if he wanted to be called dictator, and he said, that seems so temporal. And then they named him Caesar Augusta, and he liked that one. Augusta means of the gods, Caesar of the gods. And so Caesar of the gods is ruling, and things are in, you know, in, in turmoil and not always perfect as they are in our life. And then it's in this setting, it says in verse 2, that a census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. So Joseph is in the direct line of King David. And Jesus, um, being the son of David, would have come through this line. And we watch Jesus in his life, who he was born in, question, he was born in Bethlehem. And then where did he live after Bethlehem? Anybody? Egypt first, and then in Nazareth. So he spent as a refugee a couple years of his young life fleeing from from, um, Herod, who was killing the babies, and he went to Egypt. Well, Nazareth was his father, was Joseph's hometown. And Nazareth is where this journey began, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And Nazareth is around the Galilee. It's a place around the Sea of Galilee in the north where Joseph would have been from, where Jesus is eventually, where Joseph is going to go back to his roots. But, but during this season, they're traveling south through Israel, and we know the story. Anybody see the movie about Mary on the donkey? I forget what it's called, but it's a Christian movie about the story of Joseph and Mary traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and what would have went with that, and that Mary, the Bible says, was, was waddling. No, it doesn't say that. It says, it says that she was great with child, but that means the same thing, right? Mary was great with child, and, and she was riding on a donkey, and, and this, this whole scenario, you know, one of the things you see in the, in the stories of, of the Bible, and especially of Mary, and the very birth of Jesus, it seems like, for whatever reason, God likes or he allows drama. Like, God is like a God of drama, because it's always drama. Like, if his son is going to be born, you'd think that he could orchestrate it so that everything would just be so smooth and so perfect, but God doesn't work that way. He works in regular, ordinary lives and in real situations, and he allows even his son and the mother of his son to go through hardships and, and life, real life like you and I go through, so that, so that we could relate, so that God can speak into every life, and that he lived it himself. You know, when the wise men came to look for the king of the Jews, where did they go? They went to Herod's palace. And why did they go to Herod's palace? Well, because obviously that's where a king would be born, in a palace, with the palatial um, mother's suite, with everything perfect and decorations, lovely and everything. And so the wise men go to Herod's palace looking for the king of the Jews. But that's not the way that God chose to send his son. Instead, we have Mary, who has told everybody in this little village that she lives in, that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, right, sure. She's betrothed to be married, and, not, and to make situations worse, she disappears because God sends her to where? To go be with Elizabeth, her, her cousin, for a season, and she spends a couple months up with Elizabeth, and then she comes back to her town, and she's showing. And she's telling everybody that the child is from the Holy Spirit and that she's a virgin. How do you think that went over? And the drama and the bickering. Oh, can you believe Mary? She, oh, that poor Joseph. You know, that poor Joseph, he was so loyal and so good to her. And she went up to Elizabeth's house and who knows what she was doing up there. How dare she come home pregnant? You know, what do you think they did when they seen her walking in the streets? And, and, and the, the, the story of Mary that, that, that God allowed all of this kind of drama in the story of, of, of Jesus' birth. And now to make matters worse, Mary is close to giving birth. She's great with child. 
And there's a law that says you have to go back to your hometown to be registered. And so um, why would Joseph have traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem at this season in, in Mary's pregnancy? There's no way he would have done that, right? But because of this census, he has to now take Mary from Nazareth. And, and guess where he has to take her? To the very place that 2,000 years ago the prophet said that Messiah would be born. Because the Bible prophesied that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so in order to fulfill the prophecy, this decree happens from a wicked king that God is absolutely in control of. And the whole situation God is orchestrating. And Joseph loads his nine-month-long pregnant great-with-child wife on a donkey and begins to journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. What do you think that donkey freeway would have looked like that day? Everybody would have been, you know, it's season, it's, you know, and everybody's passing Mary and Joseph along the way. And, you know, as a concerned husband, you want the ride to be as nice as possible for your pregnant wife. And, but at the same time, anybody ever traveled with a pregnant woman? They don't travel so fast. And Joseph is, is doing his best, and I'm sure he's wanting just to get there and not be on the journey anymore. But what happens? Because they're traveling slow and they get to finally get to Nazareth and they're the last ones to show up and there's no room for them in the inn. And it says in verse 4, it says, Joseph, or in verse 5, it says, To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and lied him in, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It, it, it's amazing how God orchestrated the, the life and the birth of his son, Jesus. You know, I, I, I can imagine, you know, that again, as husbands, you know, especially maybe a first child, what your wife was like when you had to bring your first child home and what the nursery had to be like, you know, and everything had to be perfect. And if the curtains don't match, well, that's not going to work. You know, like when, when even just recently when, when we brought Gabrielle home from the hospital, you know, for a month I was in the garage sanding and painting and because Lydia, you know, she bought all the furniture, but it all had to be black. She didn't buy it black. She bought it who knows what color, but it wasn't going in the room until it all matched and it was all black. So I sanded every part of it and repainted it and got the nursery ready. And, and, and we wanted it to be the best that it could be. And no doubt Joseph, who's a, a loving father, a loving husband to, to Mary and cares deeply for her, as the story goes, he wants it to be the best that he can for his wife. So, so he gets there to the stable, and, and I'm sure he would have maybe broken open a fresh bale of hay and, and did his best in the manger and in the stable to make it as nice and as comfortable for his wife as it can be. But at the end of the day, it's still a stable where the animals sleep. And in the wintertime, the, the barns are dirty because the animals use the bathroom in there. And, 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 and Jesus is born in a, in a dirty stable. And Jesus comes in that place. And I think part of the message is that God came to ordinary people in ordinary situations because he loves ordinary people. He loves ordinary situations. And there's no heart that's too dirty that Jesus won't come in and change and clean. There's no life, nothing that you've done, nothing in your life that, 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 that will keep Jesus because he's too holy or he's too good or he's too pious or pompous to be a part of your life right where you are. He was born in a dirty stable with ordinary people. And it's going to get more ordinary in a minute because the very first people that God announced his birth to 
were some shepherds out in the field. And culturally, in Jesus' day, shepherds were the, the janitors. They were the low of the low. Or they were the, you know, the, the whatever the, that profession was. It, it wasn't highly regarded. The, the religious folks of Jesus' day wouldn't let their garment touch a shepherd lest they be unclean because they were just out in the fields with the animals all the time. And they looked and smelled like the animals sometimes. And it says, um, in verse 8, it says, Now... There was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so one of the things that, that, that they were, if they were keeping flock, there would have been grass in the area where these shepherds were, were, were um, growing. So let me tell you something about December 25th in the hills of Bethlehem. There's no grass. <laughs> and so for that, lots of reasons actually, but we know that Jesus was not, and I hate to, to, to spoil it, but your atheist friends are going to challenge you with the, this, so you should know you heard it in church. Jesus was not born on December 25th. We don't believe that Jesus was born on December 25th. December 25th actually started as a, a pagan holiday, a summer solstice, and, and our winter solstice, and, um, and was adopted into um, Christian practices. And um, there is some kind of history that some um, prior to that had some time in December for the birth of Jesus. But we, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us when he was born. But the thing is, we don't worship the day, right? We don't worship December 25th. But what we do as, as believers is we pick a day, and I don't care what day we pick, we pick a day, and on this day, we're going to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we're celebrating is, is the light of the world has come into the earth. And so we celebrate Jesus. And whether he was born on December 25th or he was born in June, we know when he died because we know that it was, it was Passover and we know when Passover is. And so we know that he died in April. But we don't know, and the Bible doesn't tell us when he was born. And while I'm ruining your nativity scene, let me just uh, keep going. You know, the Bible says that, uh, you know, we all, how many of you guys have a, a nativity scene at your house with your wise men there in the stable? The wise men weren't there, right? Because the Bible says they came a couple years later. By the time the wise men got there, Jesus was in a house, and he was about two years old. And so they come later in the story. They weren't there in the manger. So you need, when you get home, take your wise men and move them across the living room to the other side because that's where they technically would be in the story and they would have shown up a couple years later. And in verse 9, it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly, greatly afraid. I love the way this story is told by, by Gail Irwin, and he pictures this scene of the shepherds. And the shepherds are there in the fields, and in the heavenlies, the, the angels are getting ready to fire up the band and welcome the God of heaven, Jesus, who is the king of, his, of the heavenly realm, who the angels, when they seen him, they would bow down, holy, holy, holy. And the Bible says that Jesus, kenosis, the Greek word is kenosis, he emptied himself and he became as a man. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He who was rich became poor so that you and I... I might become rich. And it talks about Jesus prior to being born as a baby in Bethlehem as a king of heaven in all of his glory and his wealth and his riches and, and, and the king of heaven that the angels would worship and serve day and night. And that he emptied himself of these, these properties as he came to solve a problem that you and I had called sin. 
and be born and eventually die. And these same angels who know Jesus as the king of heaven are in heaven and they're, they're preparing to announce to the world the birth of Jesus. And so the band of angels is getting ready. They're, they're, they're rising up their bows. I don't know what you musicians do. That's the only thing I can remember from that song. But, um, and, and they're preparing. And then, the, and, then, and then God pulls the curtain back so the angels can see what's going on. They're getting ready to fire up. And God pulls the curtain back and they look down they're like, bunch of shepherds on a hill? Like this is, this, is, this is what we prepared the band of angels to see and maybe not what they were expecting when God pulled the curtain down, I'm sure they were expecting to see a palace and, a, and an army and, and parades and ticker tapes and, and the birth of Jesus announced to the world. And the curtains pulled back and it's a few shepherds at night on the side of a hill. And it's to them, everyday, ordinary people that God first announced the birth of his son. Ordinary people like you, ordinary people like me. The Bible says that God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That's you, the foolish things of the world. And God uses, you know, God, even in the disciples, even in how God chose the disciples, you know, God didn't go to the edge of the Harvard grad line and, and wait for the, the finest, brightest students of, of, of his day to come through the schools of Judaism and, and, and religion and, and, and recruit the 12 men that would walk with him that he would change to change the world. He chose every ordinary people that would be painters and plumbers and framers and regular people of his day, fishermen. And so it says in verse number 9, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to... Somebody? Which people? All people. Who's the gospel for? Who's Jesus for? All people. All people of every race, color, tribe, tongue, and nation. That this, this was a, a, a savior that was for all people. And it says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Here's that angelic host I was talking about. Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You know, again, the, this, this message that's 2,000 years old, this angelic message is relevant for us today. And it's God's will that, that you have glory in the highest to God, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. You know, this goodwill toward men and this peace that, that it talks about, it technically it says peace to men in whom God's well pleased. You know, we, we think of this peace that God offers and sometimes we, we don't experience, we don't see peace and we don't see this joy all around us all the time. But really what this is talking about is a peace that God puts inside of the heart of those that love him and those that believe in him. And in Christmas time, regardless of what your situation is, regardless of where you're, what's going to be under the tree, maybe some of you in here tomorrow or uh, Tuesday morning, Christmas morning, you're going to open up a, there's going to be a BMW in the driveway with a bow on it, you know, and, and it's going to be your Christmas or maybe some, some not. And, and, and either way, 
that it doesn't matter whether you're high or low, you're getting a BMW or you can't barely afford to make dinner that night. That's not what brings peace and that's not what Christmas is about. And that's not the promise that the, that the angel said, goodwill towards men, peace on earth. What Jesus promises and what Jesus talks about in this angelic message that's true for everyone is that God puts a peace inside of our hearts. Paul tells us that there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. I know sometimes that peace can be eluding, you know, and I live it, believe me. Yesterday at 6 o'clock, I get a call from my son. Dad, I've been in a car accident. And he's crying and, and can barely talk. And so Lydia and I, oh, my gosh. And we rush down there. His car's, his engine's halfway out the side of the car. And he's been hit pretty hard. And car's completely trashed and totaled. And he's fine. His passenger is fine, a little bruised and beat up, airbag. Hit her in the face and, you know, swole her face up and her lip, but she's, she's okay. And, um, you know, and, and in those situations of life, and I'm like, really, two days before Christmas and, you know, this poor kid is just, just you know, broken. And you know how you feel in an accident. It just feels terrible, right, and creepy. And, but thankfully, everybody's okay. And, you know, always just trying to find, and Lydia and I, as we just, you know, didn't sleep much not, last night up praying and just trying to sleep, but more trying to pray myself back to sleep all night, you know, and um, find, trying to find that, you know, and trying to encourage ourselves in the Lord and trying to find that joy of the Lord that, you know, even as pastor and pastor's wife, and maybe even more so sometimes that we realize that that, that joy is not in that car, you know, and, and, and how do we react when those things happen in, in, in life? You know, your first reaction, whether you're super spiritual or not, your, your heart kind of says, why, God? How did you allow that? Or what happened? Or what is the, what is the purpose of that? And what are you doing? And, and, and just encouraging yourself that, that, you know, and Lydia said this morning was really encouraging to me, you know, and she just said, you know, we've been in these situations before and, and what has happened every time? God has come through and provided. God has been faithful in every one of these situations. And here we are again, you know, with all the what ifs and all the stuff that I won't bore you with that goes through your mind and, you know, the, the damage and the money and the thing. And at the end of the day, it's just money. Everybody's okay. But that joy, that peace is something that, that we got to grab onto. It's something that we got we to gotta seek God for. It's something that, that, that God promises that the angel said, I'm going to bring that inner peace. Paul says he'll give you a peace that surpasses understanding. That's such a valuable, valuable commodity in life. When everything around you is falling apart and you shouldn't have joy, but somehow you can, you can have a peace that surpasses understanding and God brings and gives that. You know, Christmas is, a, is, a, is a, such a joyful season. I have such great memories of Christmas growing up. How about you guys? I, I think back of, of Christmases and, you know, even as a non-believer. And, and I think of, you know, I had a big family. My, my dad has 10 brothers and sisters. My, my, I have seven brothers and sisters, cousins and aunts and uncles, and we all did Christmas together. So when I was a kid, Christmas presents didn't happen till like two, maybe three o'clock in the afternoon before we opened presents. You know, you know you, some of you guys are those people, right? Like kids are up at 6 a.m. by like 6.30, all the presents are opened, everything's done, stockings, you know, and my friends would call me seven in the morning, you know, and what'd you get? And I'd be like, I'm still trying to sleep, man, <laughs> because I know I can't open presents, but we'd have to wait for all the family to come from all over. And I remember being a kid and it always felt like, oh, it's taking forever. And, you know, when's everybody going to get here? And it's not like it's before the days of cell phones where you just call everybody and say, where are you? Hurry up. 
But eventually the family that was coming from around would get there and we'd get all together and we'd be in the living room and, you know, and the Christmas tree would be in the corner and the presents because there were so many people would pile all the way out and we'd take pictures and just great memories. But you know what? I don't really have too many memories of anything that I received as a present. And all my memories don't really have anything to do with what was under the tree, but, but I have good memories of being with my family and I have good memories of the joy of, of being together and the meals and the life. And, and, and sometimes, right, like we, we, we lose Christmas in the commercial aspect of it. And so I just want to encourage us as we go into this Christmas season that it's not about the presence under the tree, but it's about the presence of God in your family, in your house. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, you know, just being intentional this and this year and every year that, that, that it's about Jesus and that we're celebrating Jesus. We've been trying to teach Gabrielle, and I don't know what her deal is, I think... But we had the hardest time because we would tell her over and over again. We'd say, Gabrielle, why, why do, whose birthday do we celebrate on Christmas? What's Christmas about? And then we'd, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we'd say, okay, who's, whose birthday is it on Christmas? Mine. <laughs> Me? No, it's not your birthday. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's Jesus. Who's, whose birthday? And then we'd go a little bit later and say, Gabrielle, why do we celebrate Christmas? Whose birthday is it? Mine, mine. She just forever just wouldn't give in. She, and then she'd know. And then she'd get like kind of in trouble. And she'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you do know. It's about Jesus. <laughs> but that it's, it's, it's Jesus that we celebrate. You know the presents that, that we give? You know what the whole, the whole reason why and what the whole tradition of giving presents on Christmas is all about? Every present. Well, the, the wise men brought presents. It's part of it. But the tradition is that every present that you hand to somebody, every present that you receive should say, this is a representation. This is a reminder of the greatest gift that was ever given on this day when God gave his son Jesus. And so it's a constant reminder. And that's why we exchange gifts back and forth. What they're supposed to say is this is a picture, a reminder of Jesus coming to the earth. And it's a present. You know, you know, in Christmas, Jesus said something about giving. And, and, and it's, it's, so, it's so important around Christmas time. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Have you guys ever experienced that? First, let me ask you this. Do you believe that? Do you believe in your heart that it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive? You know, I, I don't know who said it or where the quote come from, but it's stuck with me forever. And, and it might have been Mother Teresa. I think she said that, that you, you don't make a life, a life in what you get that you make a life in what you give. And, and, and so, you know, I, I can remember, my, my greatest Christmas was um, when Lydia and I were brand new, newlyweds, married. I don't know if it was our first or second or third Christmas. It was in the beginning somewhere. And, and it wasn't anything that I received that day. But Lydia and I were, were super broke when we got married. When we got married, um, her dad was our boss. We worked for the church. And his, his philosophy was, and still is, church salary is based on need. And so we were young, married, no kids, no real bills. Somebody that was in the church was a snowbird. So they would, they would leave in, um, in the summer and then come back in the winter. And so we got married in June, and they were going to be gone in the hot months. And they said we could stay in their house. It wasn't really a house. It was like this cabin, like 15 miles outside of town on a dirt road, like in the middle of nowhere that was built like in the 30s. And it was like scary, and there was no heat. There was a kerosene um, fireplace in the 
in this place. The, when you plugged in the toaster, it sparked. I'm not kidding. It was like old homestead that these people had. Well, we, Lydia and I lived there when we got married. So we lived there in June, July, August, I think like September. They were going to start coming back. And so we, um, so we, we found a house, a rental house for $250. And it was, the house in front was for sale, big, huge house, had a swimming pool, nice house, like on two acres. And the back house had a little mother-in-law suite, had a little kitchenette, and it had a little bedroom, bathroom off the bedroom. And so they said, until the front house sells, you guys can rent this little, little house for 250 a month. So, so we're renting this. And I think, I think my salary at the time was like 12,000 a year. I was making less than minimum wage. And our first um, really cold month, like it was like in December, the, the only heat in this little house was one of them like furnace, like wall units, like you'd see in an old hotel and it blew cold and hot. So it was the heater and the air conditioner and it was about this big and it went in the wall. So we blew heat into the house for a whole month and we got our first electric bill and it was like $400. It was way more than our rent. And at the time we had probably like $100 in the bank and so you know, we're freaking out. How are we going to pay this bill? And it was cool because it's kind of side story now, but this is cool. I remember we, we said, how are we going to pay this bill? And we don't have it. And so we said, this is what we'll do. Let's take whatever we have and let's tithe it and give it to the Lord and, and then see what happens. And that's exactly what we did. We took whatever we had and we gave it to, we wrote a check to the church. And I don't remember exactly the details of how that bill got paid that month, but I know it got paid and, and God came through. And, you know, that, that season of life was exciting because we, you know, as, as God blessed us, we got into a better place in life where we don't necessarily have those opportunities to step out in faith like that. But this is all to tell you another story. All right, we're getting there. So we didn't have any money, and, and we were, you know, it was great. It was a good season. It was just a good season of life, and, um, and we were in the mall around Christmas time, and Lydia saw this beautiful diamond and sapphire um, bracelet at, at one, of I don't remember where we were, Macy's or something, and Robinson's May it was at the time or something like that, and it was like $1,500, and it was beautiful, and I don't think she tried it on or nothing because you know, there's no reason to try it on, and so like a week later... I go to the mail, and I get a check in the mail for like $1,550 from, I don't even remember where it came from. It was like miraculous. I don't know if it was the IRS or some weird thing. And I get this check in the mail for $1,550. So I don't tell Lydia I got it. And I, and I go down, I cash it, and I go back, and I buy her that diamond and uh, bracelet for Christmas. And, and that year, watching her open that, and that gift that I was able to give her that year, that's my favorite Christmas of all. That was the best Christmas I ever had. And it wasn't about something that I got to get. It was something that I got to give supernaturally and something that I got to give that was a super blessing. It, was, it blessed Lydia so much that about a month later, she lost it in the grocery store. <laughs> True story. <laughs> okay, I, it wasn't a month. It was maybe two. No. You know what? I, God just wasn't going to let us covet or just enjoy things that were too nice before it was our time, right? So, yeah, so that one disappeared. So our, we just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. So on our 20th wedding anniversary, yeah. Thank you, Jesse. So on our 20th wedding anniversary, this, this bracelet has been, you know, a big deal in our marriage. And it was a big story. And I always tell that story. And she lost it. She really did lose it in the grocery store. And she was sick. But she went to the grocery store. And she had it on. And she came home. And it was gone. We went back, looked for it. It was gone. And so for our 20th wedding anniversary, I bought her another one very similar. And so she loved it so much that we went to Idaho. She left it in Idaho. 
<laughs> True story. She left it in Idaho. So I'm like, moral of the story. No more diamond and sapphire bracelets for you. <laughs> All right. More blessed to give than to receive. You know, um, Christmas is about God opening heaven and sending his son as the greatest gift that ever lived, who was, you know, you don't like to think about a baby dying on a cross, but that's, that's the reality of Jesus coming. He came to die. He came as the savior of the world. He came to build a bridge between man and God. And man had, because of Adam, had a sin problem. And a holy God is not going to allow sin in heaven. And so in order, you know, he had a plan before time began that he would become, personally, he would become the sacrifice that God would accept that would build a bridge for you and I, a gap for you and I to be able to spend eternity in heaven with God. And Christmas is when we celebrate that. And again, it's, it's, it's meaningless on what exact day Jesus was born and whether it was or was not December 25th. But that's the day that we've chosen as a people and in our families, in our communities to celebrate the greatest gift that was ever given. Amen? We're almost done. So it was in verse 15, that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to, the, to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with, somebody say, haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. You know what's so cool about the shepherds? Was well, twice here now in two verses, it says that they said, let us go. That's the first phrase, let us go. And the second phrase, it says they went with haste, they went in a hurry. And, and so they heard the announcement from the angels and they responded to the gospel. They responded to Jesus and they went. What's, what's so ironic is in, in the next chapter, it's years later, two years later, but when the wise men show up, they show up at King Herod's palace and they say, we've come to inquire of the king and, and where he's born. And it says that, that the Jews, the, the religious folks of those days, they immediately say, well, the prophecies say that he'll be born in Bethlehem. But not a one of them took the, the, the few mile journey to go down and find Jesus in Bethlehem. They didn't want to be bothered with it. And reasons why the people just didn't even go. And then the, the, the shepherds went and found him. I'm sorry, not the shepherds. The wise men went later in the story and found him. But in that story, the religious folks wouldn't even bother to travel the seven miles down to Bethlehem to go see Jesus. But the, but the shepherds responded very differently. And the shepherds, the everyday, maybe that's why God chose to announce the birth of his son to ordinary, everyday people like you and I. Because their hearts would respond. And, and these shepherds, they heard the, the, the gospel. They heard the presentation of Messiah being born, the prophecies being fulfilled, and they went immediately to find Jesus and, and to respond. And so it says, um, And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. You know, that's what happens when you meet Jesus. You want to make widely known what, what, what's happened and what Jesus has done in your life. That is the gospel. That is the message, come and see, go and tell. And they came and they saw the baby Jesus. They heard the message of the angels. And naturally what happens is they wanted to tell people. They, they wanted to tell people the, the, the truth of the gospel. They had this life-saving message now that Jesus, that Messiah has come. You know, I think it was Lexus, um, and it was around the 90s, but Lexus had 
um, developed a new technology and safety in vehicles. And because the new technology was cutting edge and it was developed in, in, within Lexus's laboratories, it was theirs and it was patented and it was, it was not to be shared. It was super secret. And you know what Lexus did? They took this technology and they wrapped it in a package and they sent it and they shared it with every car maker in the world because it had to do with safety. And it was a matter of saving lives. And because it was a message of saving lives, they, they, they shared this with all the other car makers in the world. And you know, that's the same thing when you have the message of Jesus. When you have a life-saving message, you naturally you just want to share that. You want to share that. And these shepherds, they come and they see the gospel. They see Jesus. They see the baby. And they go and their natural response, like yours and I, is to receive the gospel. Is to share the gospel. And then, then in verse 18, it says, And all those who heard it, marveled, and those which were told them by the shepherds. And so it was cool. People were receiving the message. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. And so Mary purposed in her heart, or she she pondered all these things in her heart. And Mary was going to experience some some interesting things in the next couple of days and months with, with Jesus, realizing who and exactly he was. You know, the Bible says that Mary is, is blessed among all women. You know, the mistake that men have made is that we've, we've, we've worshipped Mary because she's not to be worshipped. She's to be revered and respected as, as the um, blessed among women, as the Bible says, just not worshipped. What an amazing young woman with, with one of the greatest calls of all human history. How would you like to change the diapers of God? How would you like to try to, you know, I don't, did you have to discipline him? Like, did you have to get him to stop crying? I don't imagine there was much discipline going on when Jesus was growing up, but he was a normal baby, a normal child, and maybe he had some issues. But Mary had this amazing call of God, and she's blessed among women, and she she later Simeon is going to tell her that a sword is going to pierce her own soul and she'll be there on the day that Jesus dies on the cross with a broken heart a mom watching her son being tortured and and beaten you know what's funny is that that's late in in life of Jesus but the last recorded words of Mary in the Bible are actually recorded in John chapter 2 she's at a wedding in Cana of Galilee and Jesus is there and she tells the servants Hear ye him. Listen to Jesus. Do whatever he says. She tells the servants, the last thing Mary records is for us in the Bible is for us to do whatever Jesus says. That's the last recorded words of Mary. Do what Jesus says. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's have the worship team come up. You know, Christmas is a time of um, celebrating. It's a great time of joy. And I want to pray and I want to encourage every one of you in your families, in your lives, whether you had a major incident recently in the last 24 hours, if, you know, if, if maybe, maybe not, maybe things are okay and, and there is a, a occasion of joy, but that we find a reason because the reason is Jesus and the occasion is Jesus and the occasion is that I read the end of the book and, and Jesus wins and we win right along with him and that, that, that this, this world is not our home, this world is temporary and, and, and just in this, this Christmas season, you know, Lydia and I were talking this morning and I was telling her, you know, one of the things that this accident did for me, at least in this week, I said, you know, we're, we're going to spend a lot of time together as a family this week. And we would have, I think, anyways, in this Christmas season. But 
I told Lydia, you know, we're going to really, we're just going to be a family this week. I said, even if the boys have to miss some events, some things going on in their life this week, we're, we're going to just stay home and play games and, and be a family as much as possible and just, just be together and enjoy each other. Because we don't, we don't always have all these things, and all these things are not promised to us. But that, that joy of the Lord is, you know, I just want to pray blessing over each one of your families in your lives. And I want each one of you to, to experience and to have just the joy of the Lord in your lives and in your, in your families and in your Christmases. And when we put Jesus first this Christmas, and we make this Christmas not about the presents that are under the tree, but about the presence of God in our families and in our house, God will absolutely bless your family and your house and your Christmas. And also this, this morning, as we do every Sunday, is we, we want to give everybody that's here today an opportunity to make sure their hearts and lives are right with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not sure today if you're a Christian, you're not sure today if you're born again, we don't ever want you to leave those doors until you know that you know that you know that you're a born again believer and that if God has spoke to you today and, you know, God speaks apart from the message and God speaks to your heart directly. And it's not really about anything that I said crafty or not. It's about the spirit of God who loves you and who's calling you and drawing you. And it's just in this, in this circumstance, in this situation, this community that God has created that you have opportunity to respond to the call of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so if the Holy Spirit has called you, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart and, and you want to get your heart and life right with Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity now. Will you guys pray with me as a church out loud? Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I surrender all my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in the blood. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.